0: American United Federal Credit Union can often help when others won't. They can often approve loans even if you've had trouble being approved in the past. Qualifying for membership is easy. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell.
1: Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson, here for part one with Jordan Avner, founder of Corporate Movement.
0: I don't know. Lots of those things, I feel, kind of come out of necessity where you're forced into, well, how is this going to work? And I don't know, it just kind of happens.
1: This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series, where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the child rescue tab on our website, which is icollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Gordon, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, um, listen, I think we got a uh, fun things to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, everything from starting businesses back in high school to being in the outdoor industry, um, but why don't we talk about where this all led you to, at Corporate Movement. Tell me what Corporate Movement does.
0: We do. We put um, logos on everything from apparel to printed items to promotional swag, like water bottles, pens, and all those kinds of things, but... There is something that's very different about the way we approach that.
1: Yeah. So, I'd love to talk about this model, like the thing you're doing with the universities. And this is not just your average, hey, call up, send in an order for promotional products. Yeah,
0: cool. So um, one thing that we do that's um, really different, just like you're saying with universities, for example, um, as we looked at promotional products and what influences the buying power of that, there's one huge thing that seems to kind of trump almost everything else. Obviously, pricing has to be very competitive. All those things have to happen. You have to have the right product. But it's really relationships that are almost like the kingpin. That's, it trumps almost everything else. And so we actually tap into, um, let's just use a university, for example. All the different departments on campus, say, for example, athletics, when they're looking to throw out a bunch of swag for the games, if they could order from another department as opposed to some outside company, they could order from their own campus store, then that relationship is so incredibly solid that as long as everything else is lined up, it just becomes kind of a no-brainer for them to purchase from there. And so what we do is we actually set up other organizations to sell what we sell under their own name. For example, a campus store, they're going to the athletics and saying, hey, we actually offer this now. And then what we do as corporate movement is we support all of the back office systems of that. So we help with the quoting, the order processing, the artwork, everything else. And they kind of get to be the heroes on the front end and have that relationship.
1: And for you guys, it's much easier to land a bunch of customers. And, you know, for a little bit of revenue split, it ends up being a great deal for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because we meet with one and on a typical university, there's 100 to 150 purchasers. And so we tap into one and all of a sudden we have that many end users we're actually supporting. So, well, so yeah, it's a win for us for sure.
1: It's unique because there's a lot of people in the business of promotional products. And, and I think for some, it can feel more like a commodity. Um, You've intentionally gone after partnering opportunities and maybe shaking up the model a little bit. Um, It sounds to me like I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, as we've talked and, and hung out, uh, it sounds like that kind of started back with the healthcare group in 2010 when the, with the clinics. Is that kind of where the idea came from to begin with?
0: Yeah, that's exactly where it came from. Um, it was funny. We, um, we were looking for an opportunity to really do something that could disrupt the industry, but we didn't know exactly what it is. It's hard to, you always hear that, oh yeah, we have this thing that kind of totally changes the whole industry. But it's not like you just look for that and just stumble upon it. And uh, I think we were kind of, trying to go about it that way. And all of a sudden we had this customer request from a clinic, which is a lot smaller than a hospital. It was in the same group and they were seeing the buying power of the larger hospital. And uh, basically they presented us with a problem. And as we solved it, it morphed into what we're doing today.
1: Yeah, well, and I think it's a credit to, you know, it seems like a lot of the best entrepreneurs out there, they're better at long-term thinking. And and certainly the short-term thinking would have been like, no, you can have whatever pricing discount you, you can afford volume-wise. So I think right. it's a credit to your foresight of saying, hey, listen, yeah, it's worse for me short-term to let you guys all team up together and get that advanced pricing rather than making that extra margin on each of you. But long-term, you know, being the low-cost supplier here, it's going to turn into more volume for me. And, and I'm assuming you thought more loyalty. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's it. A- it exactly, and like you mentioned a little bit earlier, where promotional products are cheap plastic crap, as some people call it, becomes kind of a commodity, and I see companies all the time that are selling the, these items that are pretty much shooting themselves in the foot. Every once in a while, it doesn't happen often, but we'll have somebody come in and price it lower than we're able to get it, or just like, I don't know how they're able to do that, and come to find out they're not able to do that sustainably, um, and so that's what we were looking for, was something that, exactly like you're saying, that we could offer for years to come rather than just like, Oh, we can actually make them happy and then figure out what we're going to do later. Like it had to be something that could sustain, sustain itself right away.
1: Yeah. So this industry of, of printing stuff, uh, you kind of got your start in the early days. You know, uh, we have a lot of listeners talk about how they like hearing that people didn't get born with a business handed to them that they had to They like hearing the stories of how somebody got there. (laughs) So, um, talk about, uh, doing illegal flips at ski resorts and how that turned into the mountain mafia.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, back when I was in high school, it was kind of funny cause at the time, and we kind of talked up briefly about this, but if anybody skied and snowboarded, um, you know, that was back in the mid nineties, um, skiers and snowboarders kind of hated each other. I mean, it was, I mean, there were movies that were kind of made about that as well, where they're like, the snowboarder can't be on the Hill with us. We're skiers, but our whole group, we were both skiers and snowboarders. And so that was one thing that kind of made us a little bit different as a group, but then just like anybody who was just kind of being stupid teenagers, we were looking for ways that we could make it more and more fun and crazy. And actually doing flips at ski resorts at the time was illegal. Like you get your clip pass your pass clipped. That's how that goes. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you would get kicked off the resort if you were going to do any flips, which thinking about that today is crazy. But, uh, Yeah, so that's how it was, and uh, I'm not a morbid person, but I did have a dream one night that we took over the mountain, kind of got rid of all the ski patrollers, and we were able to do whatever we wanted on that mountain, which it's funny to think that we had to do that to just do flips on a mountain, but uh, that was kind of the beginnings of Mount Mafia. So we started that in high school and just got more and more people that were interested in skiing and snowboarding to be part of our group. And so we started doing apparel and that kind of stuff.
1: But it's interesting, you know, you read books like Seth Godin's Tribes or anything like this about helping helping a group of like-minded people get together. And you guys printing uh-huh. these t-shirts and hoodies, you know, in high school, it really probably gave an identity to all these guys who wanted to go off and build a kicker and, and actually do the stuff that the ski patrol wouldn't let them do. And it it sounds like it was an identity opportunity that happened to be a profit opportunity for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, that's exactly why we all got excited about it. And we, we were year round, not just in the winter, obviously we were just like part of this group, part of that tribe that you're talking about.
1: Well, now years later you're at university and you're screening deals for the venture capitalist, uh, out here, Alan Hall. And, um, one of the people come through blue, uh, tell me about the ski company. And, and when, uh, when you first, when you first showed up, uh, (laughs) <laughs> on their radar.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd actually taken a couple years off the of school and I had just um, come back, changed from um, what I was going into to go into business. And uh, anyway, as part of this group, the entrepreneurs organization, we would bring in different entrepreneurs. And lots of times they were trying to get funding and those kinds of things. Every once in a while, it'd be somebody like Blue House, where we just knew of kind of this cool company and we wanted to invite them to lunch. And so we invited Adam with Blue House to lunch. And yeah, basically we were able to just kind of chat with him. I followed him out to his car and offered just to volunteer for Blue House Skis at the time. And that's kind of the first time I met all those guys. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. I mean, obviously that turned into an equity opportunity for you. You you built out their whole soft goods business. Um, But it's amazing to me how often that really is a foot in the door. Like people being willing to give up some short-term returns to get their foot in the door and whether coming in as an intern, coming in, offering to work for free, how that's so hard for somebody else to say no to. And then you get to show up and prove your worth. Um, sounds like that worked mm-hmm. out for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Cause, um, as I was talking earlier, it may have sounded like I had this plan that, Hey, I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to be able to get equity and those kinds of things. It was really, and I think people can kind of see straight through that when you're doing something for another reason. And I was really just excited about what they were doing. And uh, so really the intention was really to just volunteer. It wasn't like maybe I'll volunteer and it could turn into this. The genuine intent was I'm going to help these guys out wherever I can and I hope they do well. Um, my personality, I kind of toss out ideas and I start to formulate kind of how it could work. And that's what kind of eventually turned into them putting me on a project and then getting equity and doing those kinds of things. But I don't know. I think that's really important because people sometimes approach you and you're like, they for sure want something else here. You know, you can see mm-hmm. right through it.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, but it's probably that passion that makes you a likely candidate to get offered something else.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it's interesting to find, especially in the snow sports industry, somebody who's really passionate about it and is really excited to work hard to make something out of it rather than just like, hey, I'm going to get to ski for free or get a bunch of stickers. Like they have kind of the let's build something here, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, listen, I think you've done some interesting things that have gotten you to where you're at that other people might be interested to hear about. Um, You know, I'm always interested in the stories where entrepreneurs, they, they, (laughs) instead of like, uh, build something and then sell it, they sell it, then build it, you know? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, I love your story about 2009, you're getting corporate movement going and somebody comes in with a $10,000 order that you can't front. You, you don't, you just don't have the startup cash to front that. Tell us about, uh, your creative, your creative handling of that problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it was super creative. It was just kind of necessity, right? I um, yeah. So they came to me with this large project and, uh, I was like, absolutely. Cause I knew we could do it, but, uh, I just let them know, you know, our standard policy is prepayment. <laughs> I like this and, uh... standard
1: policy. <laughs> the standard policy as of <laughs> one second ago is.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was funny cause I was like, I'll just kind of test this and see what they say. I mean, if they say something else, then I'll figure something else out. Um, it wasn't kind of a, it'll be this or I'm not going to be able to do it. But, uh, yeah, they just pulled out the checkbook and wrote the check right then. And I was like, Oh, well, that really is our standard policy then from now on. And it has been, obviously we kind of work with people if they need to. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, lots of those things I feel kind of come out of necessity where you're forced into, well, how is this going to work? And I don't know, it just kind of happens.
1: Well, and talk about why you feel like that's a structural advantage of your business rather than, say, when you were in the outdoor industry and you have to you have to fortune tell what's going to sell and then you have to do the inventory versus how things are for you now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so with Blue House Skis, for example, um, as a company, we would have to go to family and friends, um, financial institutions, and get all this cash so that we can build all the skis. And then we hope to... Covered a lot of those expenses with our first preseason sale, um, which always seemed to crash our website the first night of it. Um, But, yeah, so we'd have all this inventory, and we'd have to be kind of sitting on that, um, having to pay back interest and those kinds of things. Um, Contrast that with what we're doing with corporate movement. And, again, it's kind of out of necessity. Um, We have over a million products that we have access to. I mean, just think about like the different kinds of pens or water bottles or shirts, all those things, anything you've seen with a logo on it adds up really, really quickly. So it's actually, it is an advantage that we don't stock any of that, but it's literally impossible to do so. And so what we do with this business, we actually don't order anything until it's ordered from us. And so when we order it, we're actually ordering it from the manufacturer, but we don't have to sit on that inventory And so we're not having to kind of have a warehouse full of just things that we're hoping people will buy.
1: You know, you're obviously a really friendly guy and I was going to talk about relationships and how it works in your experience in business. I mean, obviously you and I met uh, at the convoy trip out in New York. We just had Ken and and Trent on the show and Michael's going to come on the show. Um, And Mm -hmm. the value of hanging out with like-minded CEOs and you, you and I were, we got to be friends fast being roomies (laughs) out there. Um, yeah. But you're you know, it's interesting to me how much of your story has come from you're working hard and then you meet a guy, right? And um you know, you and I obviously we're hanging out in New York and, and I'm telling you, hey, we're gonna have these Delta Force guys that do the airsoft team building day and it'd be awesome to send everybody with a home with a shirt that says I survived, whatever, you know, with their <laughs> but says their corporate name, not just like yeah, the yeah. standard shirt, right? And you're saying, Great Jess, let's work something out. And you know, before we even get that built, you're putting me together with Travis and got us invites to the to the Biz Games. Well, and for people who don't know, can you explain what the Biz Games are?
0: Uh, yeah, so the Biz Games, they actually they if you think about any of like the networking trade shows or anything that you've been to, they seem fairly drab and boring. And so what they've done, um, I'll try to make this quick. How they actually got started, they were actually a software development company. And they wanted something unique to be able to look for clients. So they did a ping pong tournament in their building and had a bunch of people come. And it was like, this is a ping pong tournament. And we'll just happen to get to know each other. And so they've basically taken that concept and built it on a large scale. The one that's coming up is actually at Southtown Expo Center. So if you can imagine how many different games and those kinds of things there are. But that's what it is. They, they look for unique games.
1: And that's in Salt Lake, Utah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they look for unique games to... Bring people together; they can have fun, and then their people obviously kind of be like, "Oh, so what do you do?" And they can possibly um, create some relationships that way a little bit more naturally than like most of the networking things you think of.
1: Yeah, but it's also hilarious, right? They got Mario Kart and ping pong tournaments, and like just all these games that somebody would play in an office. But you show up like as your company, so it's eBay versus. Whatever giant company, and it's like <laughs> it's like the Olympics of stupid games, right? And they're like in yeah. these prizes that are like WWF belt and all this stuff. um Yeah. Well, I just I obviously have personally benefited from. You know, I'm I'm calling you trying to hire you, and before I can even pay you for anything, you're landing me business. And Travis has got us to at the biz games, and he's bringing us on this trip, and subcontracting us out for some of the, you know, his Fortune 500 clients that want him to do these individually for them. Um, tell us a bit about just your, I don't know, your theory of operating. Like why is it that you do things that way or um, what's kind of your approach when it comes to relationships?
0: Yeah, um, I think it's kind of what we hit on earlier where um, obviously I'm not doing those things to be like, hey, eh, if I benefit you this way, you're going to for sure use me for those few shirts um, for this airsoft thing, right? Um, it's truly just... I don't know. I think that when I build relationships, they're genuine relationships. I'm not building it just to have like another number on LinkedIn. It's like, man, if I can help other people out, like I get a high from that. And I, I don't know that I necessarily think, and it's going to benefit me this way or that way. It's just, I don't know, just kind of the way that I feel things should go. If we can, if I have this connection, why in the world would I not be like, Hey, you guys can both benefit from this. Like, let's, set you guys up um, it's a more if that fun happens to come back It's like whatever
1: life is more fun that way isn't it when it's oh, like absolutely you're just like being genuinely generous instead of tit for tat and uh <laughs> exactly and it, i actually think that it's actually more magnetic that way when you're just trying to do somebody a solid um it's not mm-hmm. a it's not a transaction it actually ends up being right. more memorable for them rather than you know, feeling obligated or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it kind of, the way we've built corporate movement kind of goes back to that same philosophy where I'm saying, you know, relationships are like king. They reign over everything else. And when I say that, it's really like, not just a superficial kind of a thing. Like you're saying, it's like people really wanting other people to succeed. I don't know. I think just like you said, that kind of generates success success it's not like a a finite amount of success there it really kind of builds on itself it becomes a symbiotic thing
1: sure well um listen you obviously see value in meeting people you know spending money and and taking time off work to go on on like the convoy trip to new york when there's Uh a lot of people that um maybe are they want to stay at home and keep their head down on their work tell us about like why why would you choose to go on a trip like that that we went on What's yeah, the calculation so, in your mind from, doing something like that?
0: Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny, like meeting you and doing the shirts and those kinds of things. I feel like that's all secondary to why I would go on that trip. Um, that's not where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll meet a few people and it'll like pay itself back in this amount of time. Obviously, that's a good thing. But uh, what I found is I've gone and kind of separated myself. Um, I remember distinctly I went on a, a trip to Chicago. And uh, it was for another event. And I actually went out a day early um, before everybody else got there. And I just kind of created some time for me to be able to be alone in Chicago with nobody that I knew. I don't know many people out in Chicago. It was my first time there. And uh, I knew nobody was around for, for days, like completely alone. And it got me to start thinking about what specifically I want to do with my life, not just business, but about my life so that I can do those things that sometimes are a little bit more difficult to do in business to make sure I can accomplish all those goals. And I think this is kind of a way to do that, kind of get you out of your element, do something totally different and kind of put things in perspective, gets you kind of, you hear all the time, so you can start working on your business instead of in your business and kind of get a little bit more perspective and you can get back in and kind of hit it hard. I don't know if that was even a... A
1: very clear answer. Well, it is what it is. Um, We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes and to learn more about Child Rescue, go to the menu and look at our Child Rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved in. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now, listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a 6-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just 2 dollars each. Turn yes, sir. Work. Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.